Four out of five dentists recommended on-pay payroll to their patients. Just kidding. Of course, dentists aren't recommending on-pay to their patients, but the American Dental Association has listed on-pay as the only payroll app in their list of endorsed programs. Dentists, farms, startups, restaurants, bars, doctors, nonprofits, gym, franchises, on-pay can handle all your clients. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, OnPay, later in the episode. Ever wished you could earn CPE credits while on the go? Introducing Earmark, the app revolutionizing the way accountants earn their CPE. Just listen to your favorite accounting and tax podcasts, whether you're driving to work, working out, or even doing chores. After you're done listening, take a quick quiz. Score 70% or higher, you've earned your CPE. It's that easy. Plus, with Earmark, you're not just ticking a box. You're actually learning valuable insights from top accounting podcasts. So why wait? Download the Earmark app now on iOS or Android and transform your listening time into CPE credits. Make the most of your day and stay ahead with Earmark. Well, my point is that AI doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be better than humans. And when you look at professions like audit, where we have really low audit quality and we have massive audit failures, I don't think it's going to take that much for current AI to do a better job than human auditors. Coming to you weekly from the OnPay Recording Studio. Hello and welcome back to the show. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. I'm coming to you today from Chicago, David. You surprised me because I think the whole week you were out skiing and then... And next thing you're, you're in Chicago. I don't know how that happened. You weren't yes. skiing in Chicago, though. That's not no, possible. <laughs> no, Chicago got a lot of snow, but uh, I was skiing in Park City with some accountants. And uh, you might wonder how it, that is possible that we could all take off three days to go skiing. Well, you uh, can. In busy you don't season. have tax clients in busy season, but how do these other accountants do it? Well, um, you know, it's a, it's a combination of... They've either effectively delegated most of the client work to their teams, or they're going to catch up when they get back. That was one of the one of our uh, friends there. He took a, just a day to ski, but yeah, I think it's it's. I don't know. This whole experience made me think: Why do we? Why do we have busy season? And it's like such a shame because I feel like if you're an accountant who likes to ski, you just like you can't do it. Like they're not compatible, and they should be. Point. Yeah, that's right. You can never have that as a hobby. That's true. Right? Like February and March are the best times to ski. I don't know. I don't know what you do. Um, but actually, I, I, I have, I have a listener sent us a message that I think uh, offers a potential solution. This is an email from Paul and Leanna White. Hi, David and Blake. My wife and I have a bookkeeping and fractional CFO advisory firm that serves small businesses in central VA. Our experience in the last three years of being in business is that most CPAs are creating more headaches and rework for themselves, bookkeepers, and potentially costing clients money by not professionally engaging with their clients' bookkeepers to ensure year-end journal entries are made in a timely fashion where that inventory, assets depreciation, and capital asset lists are properly maintained in the accounting system for balance sheet reporting, etc. With all the issues in the industry... With burnout, overwork, and less available talent, it would seem that most CPAs would be moving towards a deeper level of engagement with professional bookkeepers versus sticking their heads in the sand, not returning calls slash emails related to these basic and foundational items needed for clients to have accurate financials on a timely basis in the accounting system. Is the issue that CPAs working with small businesses don't charge clients enough to warrant the extra effort to do things right? Or do they feel that they are above talking to third-party bookkeeping firms or perhaps view them as a competitor? Would love it if you could do some episodes that explore both sides of this issue from the CPA and the bookkeeper's perspectives on this problem. Sincerely, Paul and Leanna White, PL Business Solutions. So I've got some thoughts on this, David, but I'm curious to hear what you think first. I mean, is it a little bit of like a business model thing where the accountant's they're not valuing the bookkeeping uh, experience. They're not valuing working with third-party bookkeepers. They're not valuing the small business clients. It's just it's too much tax focus. Like the business, is it a business model thing? Like I'm not. Yeah, I think you're on the right track, right? Like a, a mix of products and services to diversify might solve this problem. If all you do is tax returns, then you're going to have a lot of workload compression. So one thing that differentiated the firms 
uh, the firm owners that I was hanging out with is that they have an emphasis on bookkeeping, accounting, client accounting services, CAS, whatever you want to call it. And tax is there, but it's not the main thing. And if tax isn't the main thing, you're not going to have the same kind of compression. Sure, there's stuff that has to happen at the beginning of the year to close the books and all that, but it's not nearly as bad when, you know, 100% of what you do is tax. Yeah, and, and, and this good, we've talked about this, the whole, like, surge pricing models. There's so many different models you could do to not have it be compressed. Yeah. Right? Automatically filing extensions for everybody. We, we beat this drum to death. Um, the, the, the beauty of doing the bookkeeping is that you can collect a lot of the information that you need to do a return all year. And if you're closing the books for the client every month or every quarter, then there's just so much less work that has to happen. Um, the actual tax return is, is taking the numbers you've already got and plugging them in, in a lot of ways. And you can do the planning year round if you're meeting with the clients year round. I, I just don't understand. If you're going to do business returns, it's crazy not to do business accounting, cash right. stuff. Yeah. And I, I think one of the arguments against this uh, is that, oh, my clients aren't willing to pay for it, right? And I don't think that's true. I think there's plenty of clients that are willing to pay for it. Um, also, one of the arguments I heard in favor, like, or not in favor, but like a, a, a rationalization for doing it this way is that you get a lot of like cleanup work in tax season and busy season, and you can charge very high rates for it because it has to get done. But if you actually do the math, the clients are getting a big discount when you do all the work at the end of the year instead of throughout the year. Even if you're charging two fifty an hour, or whatever it is, right? They're still getting, they're still paying less than they would if they paid you year round. Yeah. So you might feel good to be billing a lot of hours, but you're not actually making the money you could be making if you did it year round. Yeah. So, so. I, I have two articles on business models that I saw this week. And I wanted to get your two cents a little bit on these. And, but the, it's really good because it relates to, you kind of led into it. So I didn't know you were going to come to the show with some questioning business models on busy season. So do you want to talk about prom or coffee? Prom or coffee? Well, I'm going to a wedding tonight. So um, maybe prom. Okay. Since I'm going to be dressed up, you know. So you've ever heard of David's Bridal? Uh, yes. Yes. So. They, it's, uh, your, it's your side business, right? David? It's my side business, yes, that I started in 1950. Yeah. And they've uh, provided wedding dresses basically to 70 million people for the last, you know, 70 years. Yeah. And, but they've had their ups and downs. In 2018, they filed for bankruptcy. Then they just this past April filed for bankruptcy again. But now they were purchased by private equity and they've started a new program. They're playing the long game. So they've started a program called Diamond Prom Loyalty Program, and they're targeting high schoolers. And the way they do this, it's a, it's a program, a discount card, and they bundle together, you know, accessories, your prom dress, the alterations, give you a discount for future alterations if you need them, right? And because ultimately they want that long-term relationship to turn into a wedding dress sale eventually. And I was just, you know, and they currently have 2 million members in this prom loyalty program. So they're setting the table for their 2 million future customers, essentially. So I was kind of thinking this, like, how do firms get lifetime customers early? You can't just do, like, tax returns for free when they're teenagers because those want free tax returns when they're adults, right? But, like, like how, do you, how do you get younger people as customers and keep them for life if you're a firm? That's a good question. I feel like there's got to be an answer. I wonder if any of our listeners have a have a... Anybody in the chat? Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thanks, everyone who joined the live stream. Clearly, you're putting in some hours on a Saturday as we record here. Um, since I was out of town, we're doing it on Saturday. Tyler says, we are a BK first firm, bookkeeping first firm, that offers taxes, and only 20% of our clients take us up on it. The clients that use us for taxes have better tax liability projections and have their returns ready first. Great to see you, Jesse. Good to have you here. Edgar said regarding the uh, um, skiing, if you like to ski, that you should work in industry and then you'll have February and March open. Deborah, happy weekend to you. And Tyler says, amen. I assume that was to the, um, I don't know what that was, but 
<laughs> we'll take it. We'll take it, Tyler. That you went on vacation. You went skiing. Oh, that I went on vacation. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I'm so sore. Um, hey, but David, going back to uh, uh, this busy season thing, uh, part of the reason I've been thinking about this a lot is because actually KPMG was featured in the Financial Times. They are looking to take the pain out of auditing busy season. And the way they're going to do this, or well, actually they say that they've made progress. Um, KPMG said the number of people working more than 50 hours in total across the eight weekends of busy season for public company auditors fell from almost one third three years ago to less than one fifth last year. And it is on course to reduce it further in 2024. 29% of staff worked no weekends at all last year, up from 18% two years before. So 29% of staff did not work any weekends last year. Just to, before you go deeper the article, I'm just stepping back and thinking about the big firms like KPMG. Haven't they historically over the last 10 years slowly been shifting more to just advisory and consulting and mm -hmm. less? Mm -hmm. Like, is this a decrease because, yes, that, you're going to answer this hopefully, but my brain's already going. Is this a decrease because they have some massive efficiency or gain in business or is this a decrease because they just don't do the work anymore? <laughs> they like, just stopped. The reason? They just stopped doing. Um, well, here's what caused the change. Yeah. Uh, they, they put in place targets two years ago to finish certain percentages of audit work for large company, uh, large public company clients by deadlines in October and December. And they, they will cut the pay of senior executives if those targets are not met. So they're lining up the, uh, the, the objectives with compensation, right? Yep. So money talks, money makes, money changes behavior. Here's a quote from Scott Flynn, vice chair for audit at KPMG US. We needed to take some of the top off the mountain in January, February, and March. Younger people think about work-life balance differently than we did when I was starting out. And so we've tried to meet our professionals where we think they need to be met. Also, my work at 10 p.m. or 11 p.m. is not as good as my work at 4 p.m. and 5 p.m., especially not in January and February. I mean, I like the way this guy is thinking, right? Not every hour is equal. <laughs> so it's unbelievably logical like, to do yeah, this, right? Right. <laughs> now, no, they got a long way to go, right? 29%, only 29% didn't work any weekends in busy season. So, you know, like we need to flip that. Uh, but it's progress. I think as a profession, we're going to eventually get away from this. And there's also regulatory changes that we can advocate for to, to do this as well. Uh, you know, for example, um, moving the deadlines or uh, allowing accounting firms to spread out the deadlines for their clients or change the tax years. Like in New Zealand, uh, you can, uh, uh, firms have flexibility to change tax years with clients in a way that we just don't, so that you could take your smaller clients that are less risky and you can, you know, spread out that work. Like we could advocate for this as a profession. It doesn't have to be the way it is, um, just because it's I, I, been I that way. Every other year, tax returns could be an interesting, you know, <laughs> you've cut the volume in half now. Yeah. For everybody. But, but I'm not even talking about that. I'm just talking yeah. about like not everybody has to file on the same deadline. Yeah. You know, we could, there could be some way to uh, change the payment deadlines, change the tax filing deadlines so that they're staggered throughout the year. Like this is doable. Other countries do this. So, um, and I'm very, I, I'm very pro this now because I, I feel like the, the number one most damaging thing in accounting is that workload compression because it means that you sacrifice everything for a certain time during the year and you can't make progress on innovation during that time. And so it all waits until you have the time. And then when you have the time, you're burned out and you're tired. So you don't want to do any of that stuff. So that's what holds us back. The best time in my life has been now when I've got this very steady schedule where it's kind of the same, you know, every week in and out, I can really make progress on my goals. I can really, you know, get physically fit. I can take trips. Uh, I don't stress out. Like it makes a humongous difference. Yeah, the uh, more the more you stabilize things, you know, have these extremes. Because if you have this extreme three months of working nonstop, you tend to dip and don't do anything to recover, right? And yeah, staying yeah. keeping in that band of uh, variability. David says the IRS could stagger due dates based on your last name. It could be your birth date. It could be your social security number. I don't know. There's probably lots of ways to do this, right? So uh, I I I don't 
I don't know why we don't do this. This episode of the Accounting Podcast is sponsored by OnPay. Forbes and CNBC rank OnPay number one for small business payroll. OnPay really knows how to get payroll done right for every client you serve, no matter how complex. Their software is easy to use and backed by outstanding service levels. They handle new client onboarding for free and have experts on call to keep you and your clients on track. The system includes multi-state payroll, local tax filings, integrated HR tools, and more with no hidden fees. When you join OnPay's partner program, you get a custom dashboard to easily manage all clients in one place. Plus, you gain exclusive perks like revenue sharing or discounts, free payroll for your firm, co-branding opportunities, premium swag, and more. OnPay helps you run your practice efficiently while providing exceptional payroll that all your clients can count on. To learn more about using OnPay for your firm and clients that may be farms, startups, restaurants, bars, doctors, nonprofits, gyms, franchisees, or dentists, head over to accountingpodcast.promo slash OnPay. That is accountingpodcast.promo forward slash O-N-P-A-Y. What else we got this week, David? Uh, I, I can talk about the coffee because you like your you like coffee and you like some subscriptions. You like the subscription revenue, right? I love subscription models. I love coffee. Tell me. So, have you been what, to the UK? What, what does this have to do with accounting? <laughs> have you been to the UK? Uh, I have never been. Right, to so the they UK. have a place called Pret a Manger, and think about it. It's like a if a QT gas station got rid of the gas and merged with a Starbucks. It's like quick takeaway sandwiches, takeaway food, coffee. Well, they recently rolled out a subscription model for their coffee services. So essentially in the U.S., you get five free barista-made drinks for 40 bucks a month, basically using U.S. prices. But what they've discovered since they rolled this out, their transactions growth has grown over 36% a month after launching. Because the average person that gets this membership is hitting the coffee chain approximately 28 times a month compared to a person that's not a member who just hits the, it's like two transactions a month. 20 um, times a month. That's like they're going like every day. Almost basically every day, right? And yeah. then even Panera here in the States, because a couple of different U.S. coffee places in the States have also done this model. And they have, Panera has like an unlimited sip club, which you get a free coffee every two hours for 12 bucks a month. But they've said that what they've done is that's converted kind of casual customers to loyal customers. Yep. To where now they're coming in more often. So it's getting like, this is like, you know, obviously we've talked about how a bookkeeping subscription could help keep people in the door to sell them a tax and advising. But yeah. like, are there other things accounting firms can do to offer a cheap subscription on a monthly basis to that you, it'll benefit you in other places, right? It's just not yeah. the, the subscription. Absolutely. I mean, you could offer subscriptions for virtually anything. I think the thing that firm owners are scared about is my clients will use it too much. They will take advantage of me. And unlike coffee, where the cost of that commodity is really, really low. So for me, serving an extra cup of coffee is incrementally nothing, right? Yeah. It's the rent. It's all the fixed costs. It's all the labor that I have to have that, that makes a coffee shop expensive. But those are in many ways relatively fixed costs. So if I sell a subscription, right, I'm not my costs aren't increasing that much when people use it more. In an accounting firm, you think, oh, but if I if I get more hours from all these people, now suddenly I'm going to be screwed, right? Well, there's a really easy way to solve that. Uh, and it's simply to make your prices adjustable on a monthly or even weekly basis. So if you have a client that signs up for a subscription that starts to use it way more than you expected, and take up a lot of your team's time, you have in the engagement letter that you can change their pricing at any time with X days notice. It could be no notice, right? You could say next week your price is going up. So there really is very little risk. What's the risk? A few days? You know, one week? And, That's and how you I, deal with it. And I imagine it'll ebb and flow because that, that client might have some situation going on in their life where they need a lot of extra help. But then for the next two years, they might never reach out to you, but they're still charging you right. every month. But yeah. And if you have enough clients, then it all evens out. Yeah. And these models, I mean, this is how, you know, Amazon, Costco, this is just gravy money. If you can get some sort of like $130 fee from your clients every year to be a member of your firm or whatever, it's just, they're, they're loyal to your business, but then you're just taking gravy money. It's, mm -hmm. it's like free money sitting on the table. So, yep. 
Um, Edgar in the live stream asked, are accounting technology jobs more balanced? It really depends. If you're working in payroll, then your December is is kind of a mess, right? Um, but like, or a payroll tech company because you're signing up people. But I would say yes, on the whole, uh, when I made the leap into accounting technology, my schedule was much smoother, more spread out. Conference season can get kind of busy if you travel to conferences. I don't like that. I actually made a, a resolution this year to travel less for work. So we're cutting back on the number of conferences we go to, which makes sense because we can just do this here, David, in the Virtually. in the cloud from anywhere, anywhere, right? Here I am. I'm in a hotel in Chicago. Can anyone tell the difference? I can add on to Edgar's answer here. Um, this When I was at Intuit, I was on the payroll team. And pay, again, like payroll is like every single week. The whole payroll team's moving billion dollars in payroll a week at the time it was. And I was always jealous of TurboTax because TurboTax would like be really busy. They'd have a compressed busy season, but then yeah. would be quiet. And then they'd have like nine months to innovate and do all this cool stuff with their product. And the payroll team like never got that, that nice downtime for months at a time because you were just you just went from W2 1099 season to payroll 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 941 season and you just didn't have that so it is depending on the the tech right so i guess it comes down to no deadlines you want to get out of deadlines <laughs> that's that's how you have smooth have, have a smooth life but we're a deadline driven profession david you know that's that's the challenge even with the podcast we try to do it we're doing it every week there's always this deadline it creates a little bit of stress every week I'm right but imagine if we had to record like 50 of these in three months right and then <laughs> we didn't do worse yes. we didn't do the rest for the rest of the year i feel like doing it every week is is not bad at all. easier that's true um brandon in the live stream really liked your idea of every other year returns hey maybe for smaller clients that makes a lot of sense right why why not uh, he also said tiered subscriptions based on client needs would be ideal. No one size fits all. And Edgar asked, if you started over in accounting tech today, where would you look for jobs? Ooh, uh, probably AI accounting apps. Yeah. That's That sounds like a great place to be right now. We just did a bonus interview with the guys at Rightworks who are building that wrapper for ChatGPT for accountants. And that's a great interview. Go check that out. A lot of cool things happening over at Rightworks. Maybe that team is hiring. I have an update because of that interview. So okay. we, we did the interview, released the episode, and then micro, we said something in there incorrectly about Microsoft's new uh, Copilot product. Apparently now they did release it. They're calling it Copilot Pro, and it's available to anybody now for 20 bucks a month. It used to be just more expensive, and they're mm -hmm. only offering it to big corporations. But since we recorded that episode, Microsoft has released Copilot Pro for 20 bucks. And since we released that episode, uh, ChatGPT came out with their subscription aimed at small teams. It's called ChatGPT Team, designed for small to medium-sized teams of up to 149 members. It includes a dedicated workspace and administrative tools for team management. And really importantly for accountants, anybody you put on this team plan, their prompts will not be used to train the model. Right. So you've always been able to do that through the API, which is what Rightwork Spark does. Sends it through the API. The terms are different. That data is not retained by OpenAI. It's not used to train the model. This is now the same as that. So if you've got your team using ChatGPT at $20 a month, you can now upgrade to ChatGPT team. It's $30 per month. Or if you pay annually, it's $25 per user per month. So it's a little more expensive, but makes a lot of sense if we you get the are management, an accounting firm. We get administration. We get some extra security, if you want to call it, use the word security and privacy. So, because right now I think as on our own company, we have seven separate ChatGPT subscriptions. <laughs> so we, yep. we probably need to look into this for ourselves. Okay. I, it's on my list to do as soon as, uh, as soon as I get back home. And then I have a Claude one and now, yeah, it's starting to, <laughs> a couple subscriptions everywhere. Speaking of AI, David, I saw this really fascinating study a comparison of Waymo rider-only crash data to human benchmarks at 7.1 million miles. I heard about this. Yes. So so Waymo, have you seen the Waymo cars driving around Phoenix? Yes. Do they have them in Tucson? 
They're not in Tucson. I have a theory why they train these cars in Phoenix. Well, tell me your theory. If anybody who's not been to Phoenix, Phoenix is a master plan community. Every single road is a perfect square, straight road, one mile squares. And I'm like, if you, I'm less impressed with cars that can drive around Phoenix. Like, okay, Tucson's well, older, the roads are crooked. It's like harder. Okay, yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, but it's still impressive because yeah. I think they're they're using comparisons of Phoenician drivers to okay. Waymo cars. So like the terrain may be easier, but we're still you know, people. we still crash, people right? Robots, yeah. We're still people. And um uh so what's really fascinating about this is that it it's it's th- these these Waymo self-driving cars with the big cameras on top, the radar systems, they have now driven seven over seven million miles. And this data comes from official National Highway Traffic Safety Administration reports that Waymo is required to submit on any crashes. And the human benchmarks come from research papers that estimate overall crash rates for human drivers in the same cities as the Waymo vehicles operate. So like I said, comparing Phoenician drivers to Phoenician Waymo vehicles. And prior to now, they just didn't have enough miles to make comparisons worthy, I think. Is that the right? You need you needed a lot of, of of data. And check this out. When you consider all locations, the Waymo cars, the automatic system, had an 85% lower any injury crash rate and 57% lower police reported crash rate than humans. This means the Waymo vehicles had between two and seven times fewer crashes, resulting in injuries or police reports compared to human driver crash rate estimates. So the Waymo system is way safer than human drivers. It's not perfect. They still crash, but they crash at a far less rate. It's far smaller rate, far lower rate. And uh, what does it have to do with AI and accounting, David? Well, my point is that AI doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be better than humans. And when you look at professions like audit, where we have really low audit quality and we have massive audit failures, I don't think it's going to take that much for current AI to do a better job than human auditors. If it only is only 50% good, it's still probably doing more. Yeah, well, considering that like the PCAOB is coming out with a report soon that finds something like 40 to 50% of audits are extremely deficient. So... That's even with all the busy season hours that we're putting in. So I think I think the point is AI doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be better than a really tired human being at 10 or 11 p.m. at night. Yeah, and I think uh, at this an article is almost a month old. It's been kind of hanging around. Um, but the IRS, uh, they spotted 37.1 billion in tax and financial crimes. And they basically, because they've seized now 1.7 petabytes of digital data from 3,300 computer devices. And they've found a lot of this using AI. So they're applying AI on top of financial tractions to help identify fraud. So you're right. It can't. It doesn't have to catch all the fraud. But hey, if it can connect, catch billions, it's pretty good. Yeah. This episode of the Accounting Podcast is sponsored by FinDaily. Your accounting clients don't want another shiny app that they have to log into. They want to be met where they live, in their email inbox. FinDaily does just that. FinDaily automates the communication of key financial data by sending it to your client's inbox daily. Blake and I have been using FinDaily for a few months now. Each morning, we get one email with the high-level accounting information for both our companies. And even though one company is on QuickBooks Online and the other is on Zero, we still get everything in one email. FinDaily sends us the bank balances from the bank, the bank balances in QuickBooks and Zero, our open bills and unpaid invoices. It allows us to stay on top of key metrics in our business without having to sign into dashboard apps or multiple accounting GLs. FinDaily is fully customizable for each client and has connections to Plaid, QuickBooks Online, Zero, and Zapier, allowing you to quickly create a daily email for each client with the financial data they care about. If you are ready to provide your clients with the numbers they need in a way they can quickly digest, head over to accountingpodcast.promo slash FinDaily. That is accountingpodcast.promo forward slash F-I-N-D-A-I-L-Y. What else do we have in the world of AI? I've got a big list here. We haven't had a chance to get to it. Um, I've seen some very interesting, um, like contradictory data. 
Here's a headline that was in Accounting Today back in November. Survey finds 37% of finance leaders have already laid off workers due to AI. This was a survey conducted by Resume Builder, which included 750 business leaders from companies that currently use or plan to implement AI by 2024. And it found that 37% of respondents have already dismissed employees due to AI adoption. That really surprises me. I wonder who are these employees that are getting laid off because AI has replaced them. And I saw an article this week that said that the title was 25% of CEOs expect AI to lead to job cuts in 2024. Mm-hmm. And this was a survey done by um, PwC ahead of the uh, Davos Economic Forum. And they said it would lead to job cuts of at least 5% this year. Um, and the leaders that are saying this are in the media and entertainment, banking, insurance, and logistics fields. So, you know what I wonder? I wonder if, like, a lot of these are layoffs that are being done for financial reasons. Because we've seen, you know, a lot of layoffs this year due to the need to cut back. And AI is just the excuse. It, I'm trying to think, like, the psychological part of this. So you get laid off, Right. And you're going to go and tell people you got laid off. Isn't it nicer to tell people, like, I got laid off, bad luck, AI took my job, instead of just, like, those, they just cut me, <laughs> right? Is, it, is, it, is this a psychological game on both end, both sides, no. the people making the cuts and the people receiving the cuts? I don't know. Did you see the news that uh, the SEC approved crypto ETFs? So you can, you can buy Bitcoin on the stock market now, David. So instead of buying, like, I think an ETF, something like the QQQ, and that automatically puts me into, like, the whole entire NASDAQ, right? I can buy, like, a something similar that just puts me into crypto without me buying crypto. Yeah, that... same way you can buy, uh, like, gold, right? You don't okay. actually have to buy gold bars. Okay. You just buy the ETF. The ETF and now okay. you've, got your, your, you've got exposure to gold. Same thing with Bitcoin. Um, I was thinking a lot about this because we have been – you know, big crypto skeptics recently, or not recently, over the last many years. And I was thinking, like, is this is this a good thing or a bad thing? And I actually think it's a good thing. I've come to the conclusion that the SEC did the right thing here, but not because it's a good investment. I still think it's a terrible investment. <laughs> I, I think it's a good thing, though, because it's better to have people making this investment on a regulated exchange in a, a way that protects them in some respects, right? It may not protect them from making a bad investment, but at least it protects them from frauds. Well, you know, and it, it, I guess it uh, smooths the curve because I think if it, right now, prior to this, if you want to invest in crypto, there's 2,000 choices, and you hopefully you pick the right one. And now you're kind of in, if, if you believe in crypto overall, you now have a safe way to spread out your risk a little bit because you're investing yeah. well, in and, a but category of crypto. Right? You're also not investing on some like unregulated exchange, right? You're, you're investing yeah, on a, a regulated- Harder for fraud to happen, much harder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. much harder, right? Um, Brian says, I totally agree, Blake. Thanks for, thanks for joining us today, Brian. I do want to talk a little bit about why I think it's a, a terrible investment. <laughs> you know, I I still can't see the, like, to me, the only, the, the value of crypto, the reason people invest in it is because you believe it's going to go up in the future. Now, you could say that about any stock, right? But I cannot identify any intrinsic value in Bitcoin. So other than the speculative value other than the idea that it will continue to go up because other people will buy it, the greater fool theory, right? There's somebody else will spend, will pay more to me in the future than what I paid, right? That's the greater fool theory. There's nothing, there's nothing backing the value of Bitcoin. And well, except for one, one thing, which is criminal activity, right? The number one, like, real-world use case of Bitcoin is not as a currency, which is what it was promised to be. It's as a way to launder money or to get money out of places where you're not allowed to move it normally, like China. 
And I saw this crazy story in the New York Times. This NYU student owns a $6 million crypto mine. His secret is out. And where does he own this at? Where is that? It's a physical picture you have here. Yes. So this is a picture of a crypto mine. If you've ever wondered what a crypto mine looks like, it's a plot of land with a bunch of electrical poles uh, in Texas, kind of middle of nowhere, Texas. And um, it's a bunch of what look like I would have guessed chicken coops. <laughs> Except they're holding racks of uh of servers. Servers. Of like of of mining computers. And how did Jerry Yu manage to own a crypto mine, a six million dollar crypto mine in Texas? He's second generation rich. He has a Connecticut prep school education. He lives in a Manhattan condominium bought for eight million dollars. Less I'm less impressed now. <laughs> but basically his, we assume his family transferred, you know, the money to him. It's like Bitcoin, right? Across state borders. And, and he, he used that money, not purchasing this facility with dollars. He bought it with cryptocurrency. <laughs> so all this money is moving out of China now because China's having, a, 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 I, I think China's headed for a, a, a deep recession. They, they have some serious economic problems, right? With the population decline, with the real estate bubble popping, and all of these wealthy people in China are trying to get their money out. And you can't do it through normal channels. So how are you doing it? You're buying crypto. So that's what's propping up the value. They're using, they're using it as a rail. Yeah. Uh, as a, as a, pipe on, a pipe or a rail. Yeah. yeah. And so, that's why I always thought the utility is. I was, but for me, like it was always like micropayments. And we've talked about this before in the podcast where maybe people could pay us um, 10 cents per minute of listening to our podcast, something like that. But now that the Fed now, the uh, Treasury's released Fed now, and the, it, t- it costs pennies to send instant payments on the Fed now network, maybe that defeats the purpose of having to use blockchain or Bitcoin to move money around. Right? Yeah. Well, Bitcoin is, the utility, is yeah. terribly inefficient. You know, it costs, I don't know, the last time I looked at it, it cost, you know, tens of dollars to <laughs> to make a Bitcoin transaction, right? Not pennies. So it's not ever going to be a currency. It's it, The best it is, is it's like a medium of exchange. And as soon as there's no longer this, at some point, right? I don't know, maybe, maybe there will always be this market for like illegal activity. But if it ever gets shut down um, or there, be, there are better alternative develops, then what's the value, right? What's the intrinsic value of a Bitcoin? I mean, to me, it's zero. Ultimately, long term, I don't know when that's going to be, but it seems like zero. So can you imagine, though, like if you live in this like tiny Texas town (laughs) where like the biggest business in your town is this crypto mine that some like NYU student owns? Well, well, I think some of the arguments long term that are opposite of yours, Blake, is that, oh, this is what's going to be important when, you know, the U.S. completely collapses, collapses. Like you'll still have your Bitcoin because the U.S. dollar will be worthless. But I'm thinking if the U.S. economy completely collapses, you probably don't have electricity to even access your Bitcoin. <laughs> like, like, like we are probably at that point where you couldn't even utilize your Bitcoin because there's no electricity because yeah, society is completely collapsed. Yeah. We are. That, that's the other argument is like, yeah, you're, you're betting on the collapse of the uh, U.S. dollar. But I, I, I wouldn't bet on that, right? Like, it, you know, the U.S. has a lot of problems, but we're still by far the most powerful country in the world, yeah. right? Like the most eligible leper in the colony. <laughs> right? It's, 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 uh, there's no other, there's no other country that can come close to offering the economic stability and the free markets and the, the you know, rule of law that we have. I suppose that could all change, but it doesn't, I don't see it happening. Even if Donald Trump is reelected as president, I just, I just, I don't see it. You know, like the, I don't, I don't buy the fear mongering. I'm not, I don't take, I'm not, I don't take sides in this. I've decided to sit out this election. <laughs> you know, I, but I, I don't see that changing. So speaking of stock or investing, um, this is a little bit of follow up from the UK postal scandal story from last week, Fujitsu shares have dropped nearly 4% 
Um, and it's mostly due to their European CEO, Paul Patterson. He, uh, this January, so ever since this television show was broadcast. Um, so let's summarize what happened oh, for the summer. listeners who missed so, it, right? So, so if you haven't listened, go back and listen to our episode from last week. I would argue it's one of the most shocking and important stories we've probably covered. Like it, it, and it's still like just weighing on my brain, this story. But essentially what happened is in the UK for 20 years, there was a software bug that caused um, postal masters at these independent, I would argue like kind of franchises of the US post, UK postal service to be accused of theft. 700 people are put in jails, there's divorces, there's suicides. It's just a catastrophe of justice that's occurred for 20 years. And the, the accounting software that causes or the point of sale is owned by a company called Fujitsu, who those of you probably know about the scanners. But yes, yeah, so go back and listen to the episode. But there was a TV show that recently came out and it's it's really surfaced this whole problem up to to the radar of millions of people. So now obviously the House of Commons in the UK, they're they're calling testimonies, bringing people in, trying to understand like how did this go on for so long? And uh, they took a... 4% hit because they um, it's looking like they're going to compensate hundreds of sub-postmasters that were wrongly prosecuted. And the, he said that this is a moral obligation. So nobody knows how much this could be, but I know we talked about before, I think it's, there's billions that have been paid to Fujitsu by the UK Postal Service. So they, they have the money. And I think they're a $40 billion Mm -hmm. Your company anyway. So the money's there. We'll see kind of where that uh, cuts into. And then another piece of the follow-up is now people are questioning the auditors. So, of course, right? And in January, they uh, they call them both, uh, EY and PwC were um, accused of just not noticing this liability buildup, this missing, because when the cash register is short, that's liability, right? Where's the money? Somebody owes it to us, et cetera. Um, and during the whole entire time is EY, right? And so now they're going to start facing scrutiny from uh, an independent investigation. So this story is going to be going on. It's just amazing that it took a television show to cause justice to start being served over this. So why would the auditors be at fault in this? Well, the auditors, when you're you're... Isn't your job to assess the, I'll use the quote, truth and fairness, right? Yeah. With the UK Postal Service in the report. So if you see like this balance for like, I'm sure it would probably go to like something called cash drawer overages or shortages mm. or something, right? Wouldn't that, like, why is it so big? Right. Like, Because like, the issue was that this Fujitsu software used at the point of sales and all of these sub post offices were, was double counting transactions. Sales, yeah. Sales. So, so that, that credit it would not match up with the cash and all they'd have to do is go to one location probably for like a week period and yeah. watch all the real sales count the inventory yeah like count the cash and figure it out like yeah they missed it well like it's everybody it's, missed this it's be, it's because that's not their mission their mission is not to the mission of auditors is not to discover the truth <laughs> that's the problem uh, it should be, in my opinion, it should be closer to that. There should be more of a duty to that. But yeah, no, they weren't looking. They didn't want to I mean, know. My guess, considering the post office knew, the UK post office knew, Horizon knew, who was the company owned by Fujitsu, my bet is EY knew. Some, 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 the, the word's going to come out, some intern, some, some junior staff figured this out, reported it up, and nothing happened. This episode of the Accounting Podcast is sponsored by ClientHub. ClientHub is workflow software for taking your accounting firm to the next level. ClientHub is both amazingly powerful yet amazingly simple. With tax season in full swing, you need tools to work efficiently, keep clients happy, and help your firm run smoothly. ClientHub helps manage your firm's workflow, track time, triage email, get e-signatures, and more. My favorite feature is the AI built-in that saves tons of time. ClientHub can automatically draft email replies to common client questions, and the new Magic Workflow creates detailed task checklists and instructions for any new client work or unusual requests. Beyond the amazing AI, ClientHub's seamless client collaboration makes it easy to resolve QuickBooks uncategorized transactions. 
The simple modern interface means your team can start using Client Hub in no time. And with mobile apps, tracking tasks and communicating with clients is easy for everyone on your team. It's even easy for clients too. To start your free trial of Client Hub's amazingly powerful yet amazingly simple workflows, head over to accountingpodcast.promo slash client hub. That is accountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-L-I-E-N-T-H-U-B. So going back to this um, crypto and China thing, I have a stat on that. New York Times published an article in December about the outflows of money. They're going, it's going out of the country via crypto, uh, but also small gold bars, real estate. Chinese buyers are becoming the main purchasers of high-end apartments in Tokyo. And an estimated $50 billion per month has been moved out of China in 2023. $50 billion per month. So I guess that's, that's what, $600 billion for the year. Now, China's got a $17 trillion economy. So $600 billion out of $17 trillion, I guess it's not that large, but it is a lot. So... This is a bad sign. And and I guess Mm -hmm. the question I would have, when they're moving this money out, is this 50% of their assets? Is this 10% of their assets? Are they diversifying? Or is this like, I need to move 90% of my assets out because I'm scared? Like, I don't know. But I mean, if if the economy is- These numbers are humongous. Right. If the economy is, you know, 17 trillion and we've got 600 billion leaving in a single year, to me, that's a lot of- profit, right? Or a lot of wealth that is is exiting the country. I wonder what the implications of that are for the global economy, right? If China really entered a severe recession, they say they had 5% growth, but those are official numbers. So we don't know if that's true or not. That's the state-run media, right? It's interesting. What's so fascinating about this is that I grew up with this narrative that China was going to be the next global superpower that replaces the United States. And that is clearly not what is happening or what is going to happen. When you look at the effect of the one-child policy and you look at the the, the impact of uh, Xi and the policies that have been in pla- put in place where the the political situation, the economic situation has become more and more controlled by the central government, right? Who was the guy that disappeared all of a sudden, the founder of Alibaba? <laughs> he, he vanished for a bit. Yeah. Like, and I so, think COVID hurt their manufacturing because the supply chains, everybody's it's too risky to have your stuff only produced in China, right? In one country. And so, they, so there's some percentage of manufacturing that's being distributed around the world now that yeah. only China had before. Yeah. Hey, you know, I'm going kind of off topic, right, of the accounting podcast, but I feel like this is an important story that has gone unnoticed, and it involves numbers, so I want to highlight it. Do you remember hydroxychloroquine, David? That's one of the COVID things? like COVID COVID misinformation. Misinformation, okay. So this is an anti-malaria drug that uh, was popularized as a COVID treatment or preventative something. Like people, basically people took hydroxychloroquine to prevent COVID because they heard about it online or from influencers. I think Trump was even talking about hydroxychloroquine. There was all this misinformation going around. And researchers have found in France, they've done a study and they think that 17,000 deaths during COVID were caused by people taking hydroxychloroquine. 17,000. And that's only in six countries. France, Belgium, Italy, Spain, Turkey, and the United States. In lieu of getting a vaccine or in lieu of pro- other medical treatment, they just took this instead. Despite clinical evidence supporting its effectiveness, it was administered to hospitalized patients in those countries, and they estimate that 17,000 people died. Now, let's just put that in perspective, right? Like, this is the power of misinformation. Um, you know, 3,000-something people died in 9-11. In, in Israel, 
just in in the in the attack in the in the recent war, right? Um, it's been about what was it? One two thousand Israelis died, and now we're talking twenty thousand Gazans. Seventeen thousand people died taking a drug that had no clinical use. And that's only in six countries. Imagine what it could be globally. Yeah. It's like this is the power of 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 information. And it I just it I I constantly have to like look at these numbers and put this into perspective, right? Going back to this whole Waymo thing, right? We we hear headlines where like a Waymo car in San Francisco, or I don't think it was Waymo, it was a different car, like runs over somebody. One person, right? And they didn't even die. And we're saying like, oh, we can't, we can't use cars these these self-driving cars right we have to put numbers into perspective yeah it's it's the whole like people's fear of sharks right like you're right like in general people do not grasp numbers very well right <laughs> that's right the shark the, week the, you, the odds of you getting bit by a shark are like basically zero right the odds of you getting in a car crash are much higher right or even people do this with plane flights flying yeah yeah flying. Yep, driving is far more dangerous than flying, but people are terrified of flying and will drive instead. Yep. Yeah, even with this uh, recent Boeing thing where the door popped off, right? Yeah. It's still way it's still way safer to fly. What else? What else? My uh, personal information might have been leaked. <laughs> what happened? So. As you know, I have a framework laptop, right? And so, and the reason I love it because I can take the pieces apart, put it back together. And last year, um, at the end of the year here, I had to buy a new keyboard because I tend to wear out my backspace key and my control C, control V keys on keyboards. And I didn't, I wanted to replace a keyboard and that's why I bought this laptop because it's not, it's just screws. There's no glue. It's great. Mm-hmm. Well, turns out apparently they had a breach. So the framework company, the framework company. So are you wondering why they had a breach, Blake? Because the their accounting firm was tricked by a threat actor. Oh no! So so the threat actor pretended they were the CEO and said, "Hey, can you send me, on January 11th? Send me a spreadsheet with uh, everybody's outstanding balances and email addresses and names for the purchases." And the person they sent the spreadsheet out to a threat actor. Now, those those email addresses could always be used for other spamming in the future. I don't know for sure if I was in that or not. Um, I was right around the time I did do that order. So now Framework says that the all the Keating Consulting employees with access to Framework customer information will be required to have mandatory phishing and social engineering attack training. Um, and they want to um, audit their own internal standard procedures on information requests. But this is, again, like firms don't send this stuff out. Like that's really dangerous. Well, uh, David, yeah. well, it's an accounting well, firm's fault. Are you ultimately. getting um, what is the thing they they do in this case? Is they send you an offer for like free identity theft monitoring? Yeah, I didn't get that yet? But you didn't get yes, that. I have ten thousand of those, but this one hit home a little bit. It's a little more personal. Hey, so we were talking about self driving cars, and here's a tax story related to that. Um, I mentioned that person that got ran over in San Francisco by the self driving car just a moment ago. So that was a cruise car, GM. Yes. Owns cruise. And uh, they've been testing these in San Francisco, which, you know, bad idea, honestly, to test these in San Francisco because San Francisco is is really, as a city, not very friendly to technology companies testing their hardware on city streets. And GM has now had to file a lawsuit against San Francisco. San Francisco is trying to tax... GM for $108 million over seven years, despite the automaker having minimal sales and virtually no staff in the city. And the way the city is trying to do this is they're saying that the presence of the cruise self-driving unit will link GM to San Francisco and that San Francisco is entitled to a part of GM's global revenue. And it's a crazy number, right? (laughs) So, So GM's global revenue is $3 billion. So they're saying that $3 billion is subject to city taxes, which is $108 million. And GM is saying, of course, that Cruz operates independently from GM and only started generating modest revenue recently. So 
seems like a reach to me, right? <laughs> a little bit. No physical locations, no dealerships. They only sold $677,000 of retail goods in the city in 2022. Um, San Francisco must really be hurting if they're if they're stretching like this to try to get money from GM. I I have a hard time imagining that a court is going to side with San Francisco in this case. But if they do, why would any major company want to do anything in San Francisco? Yeah, because they're again? not suing them because it was tricky accounting or they're playing some games the way Microsoft has done that. Like, this is just like, yes, we have a presence, but it's a subsidiary that only makes, it's $200,000 of revenue, right? It's some ridiculously small amount. Yeah, like $700,000. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Um, I have a city government story that's more of a feel-good story, Blake. Okay, Um, let's do that. We could end with a feel-good story. Hopefully I say this correctly, the Pekea Township in Pennsylvania, so they had their board meeting last month, and they unanimously approved their their budget for 2024 because all the expenditures and revenue were all in balance. But the, they were planning to raise taxes by 5%. But what happened is they rolled out a new accounting program and the employees discovered they didn't account for $55,000 in revenue properly. And because of that, the last minute budget changes allowed them to have a budget, a balanced budget and no new taxes. So like accounting saved the day. Like, how much was it that they were uh, off by? Fifty-five thousand dollars in revenue. It must be this township must be really teeny. But <laughs> this is but a story have, in the news. Yeah, they didn't have to raise taxes because they changed accounting systems. Like, there you go. Accounting saves the day. Saves lower taxes thanks to an accounting system. Well, David, that's all I got for today. It's been great to see you. I'll be back in Scottsdale next week. We're going to record on Tuesday, I think, and we'll be catching up on listener mail. And you're so, going to a wedding, so ask the I'm, bride where she got her dress at. Was she a member of their prom program first? Like, how this worked out? When did when did the prom program start? Because I think it started I, I think, last year. I think my so. my peer group is is yeah a little older yeah, than we'll that pass now. That. Okay. Yeah, um, I'm just glad I could keep up on the slopes when I was skiing. We got so much good snow. It was we got so lucky. Everyone's been talking about how you know the Rockies haven't gotten enough snow, and a, a series of storms just dumped on us uh the week before and during so we got a we got a bluebird day we got a powder day uh right now is a great time to go to park city and ski so uh, if you haven't made it out this season yet it's now you should go yeah it's, it's file extensions for all your clients and yeah put ski. all your clients on extension and, and check out for a couple of days brandon thanks for joining us brandon says great episode guys glad i could catch it today thank you everyone who joined our live stream we love interacting with you you can send us your listener mail, um, whether you listen live or not, at the accounting podcast at earmark.me. We've got a bunch of mail in the mailbag. We'll be catching up this week. And uh, we really appreciate hearing from you and all your thoughts. I, uh, I hope you're having a great busy season, if this is the busy season for you. And we'll see you around. Bye, David. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Time for the classifieds. Want to make learning QuickBooks Online a breeze for your staff or clients while pocketing some extra cash? RoyalWise.com's Owls platform is the perfect solution with over 100 hours of in-depth QuickBooks training content spanning more than 40 topics. Join the partner program and become a vital link in the education chain. Share custom affiliate links with your bookkeeping team and small business clients and see the rewards roll in with every successful referral. You're not just earning cash, you're connecting your network to valuable CP credits and lessons led by one of Ignition's top 50 women in accounting, Alicia Katz. Bullet. Enhance your service offerings and earn with each referral. Join today, royalwise.com slash partner. That's royalwise.com slash partner. Stop settling for slow payments and say hello to the future of AR with Forwardly. Accounts that use Forwardly can receive payments in less than 22 seconds. Yes, under 22 seconds via the newly launched FedNow network. And if your bank or a client's bank doesn't yet use FedNow, Forwardly will send the payment via same-day ACH for free. To get paid in under 22 seconds, go to forwardly.com. That's forwardly.com. Are you in the New York City area? 
or want an excuse to travel to New York City? Join LiveFlow and Oh My Fraud podcast host Greg Kite for a one-day event in New York City at the LiveFlow office. Greg will show you how to take control of your career, learn how to become more entrepreneurial, and become more influential in the accounting industry, all while earning CPE credits. This in-person event takes place January 31st at 9 a.m. Eastern. To save your seat, head to www.liveflow.io slash events slash Greg dash Kite dash event. That's www.liveflow.io slash events slash Greg dash Kite dash event. Looking for an amazing and intimate conference experience this fall? Join Hector Garcia, CPA, in his second annual Reframe Workshop on October 24th to 26th, 2024 at the stunning Oceanfront Diplomat Resort in Hollywood, Florida. The theme this year is Influential Conversations for Accountants. Come share and collaborate with 200 other accounting pros that want to level up the way they communicate their value and become more influential with their conversations. Go to reframe2024.com to get your ticket with early bird pricing through February 28th. Last year, the conference sold out early, so head to reframe2024.com to get your early bird pricing. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.